0: Well, this morning, church, we are um, continuing our series through the book of Psalms, and I might, and, and this is a, just a public service announcement in general, but specifically for this morning. It's probably more for me than it is for you, but I'm going to share it anyways because I trust you all, um, and that is I may mess up today's message because I'm really excited to preach today's message, not as though I'm not excited to preach other messages. I am, but this one um, this one for me is is just for me is the point of why we as a church gather, and 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 not only corporately, but why we as Christians are Christians and the end game of us as Christians, not only corporately but also individually, and that is I'm, we're going to be talking about worship this morning. We're going to be talking about worship this morning. Um, I, I've titled today's message, Why I Worship, and this morning we're going to look at Psalm 95 and look at some specific reasons as to why I worship, and hopefully they're the reasons why you worship, and therefore it's why we worship. Does that make sense? Um, and so I, I just want to get some things out of the way, This lay some groundwork as we come to today's message this morning. And one is this, um, in case you didn't know this already, we are made to worship. we are made to worship and whether or not we worship Jesus or whether or not we worship someone or something else, whether or not you realize it, we are worshiping someone or something today. We are worshiping someone or something this week. And, and, and you might want to ask, well, how do I know if I am worshiping, potentially worshiping that person or thing? How do I know that I am potentially worshiping someone or something. And and there's not always a clear answer to that, but there are some indications that maybe you could take. One is this, how much time do you think about that person or that thing? How much time are you willing to go out of your way to make sure that that thing or that that person um, is the center of, of much of what you do and much of what you think about? Where do you spend the majority of your time? Not that you have to spend the majority of time. Trust me, I, I think that there are uh, aspects in our lives. We have to spend time be, in things that we, that we really maybe not want to spend time on. But we have to do it because maybe it's our job and we aren't happy with our job right now. Or, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the things that, that maybe if we could just devote... Our time to when we're not doing the things we have to do, but the things that we actually want to do What are those things or the people that we are around? Those are some indications possibly Possibly And and it can get really unhealthy It can get really What are those things or those people that you can't live without? Chances are that's probably what you're going to be more tempted to worship What are those things that that you look to or people you look to for answers to everything. That if I only had this in my life, oh, it would be so much better. If only I had that individual in my life, oh, that would be so much better. And let me just say this, it it, it can get really unhealthy really quick. Because why? Because we are made as humans to worship. It is ingrained in us. We can't help it. We can't help it. It is the same thing as, as the fact that we have this, this desire, this, this need, this, this inkling, if you will, inside of us that we know, perhaps, that there is something more to this world than just this world. That there is there is this thing inside that just... I know there has to be something or someone out there that created all of this. And and I think sometimes we have to really suppress that in trying to explain other ways or other reasons why the world exists or why we have these yearnings. We have to suppress that 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 innate desire for for that to understand and admit that maybe there is someone or something out there that created this, and then therefore to, su- to suppress that for other reasons that might be more logical, that might, dare I say, be more scientific or whatever ways you wanna say that. You really, in my opinion, probably have to suppress that other side in order to accept the more logical side. But it doesn't answer all the questions because we just have this innate desire, this innate need to worship. It is just who we are. It is just who we are. So I just want to set that ground this morning as we get into today's message. Here's the second reason why I think this message is so important for us to understand. Is that whether or not we realize it, when we are face-to-face with Jesus for all eternity, and by the way, I'm, I'm just eschatological viewpoint here, and eschatology is just a study of the last days. Um, one of these words I learned in seminary, I paid a lot of money for, so I'm sharing it with you. Um, Is that, is that we, we, you know, yes, we're going to be in heaven, but heaven is not our permanent place. Now go with me. Don't, 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 don't ask me out already. Okay. I don't believe heaven is our permanent place. Heaven and earth are going to be our permanent place and heaven is coming to earth. It is going to be the garden all over again. It it is going to be a new creation. It is going to be A new creation a world without end a world without sin a world without pain a world without sorrow a new world and we get to live in it and in that world you might be asking yourself Dan what am I gonna do for eternity in that world oh my word look at this world now I mean we have so much time on our hands that the problem with it is is that we we just don't use it effectively enough my word there is so much in this world to do so much in this world to see right i have a dream it's not a martin luther king dream so that's a great dream by the way um great story behind that speech by the way he never meant to give that speech it wasn't until he was prompted he gave a wonderful speech actually it was kind of a flat speech until someone behind him said martin tell him about the dream and then he launched into the speech. Sometimes the best messages are the ones you didn't prepare for. Amen? Amen? Okay, that's not the message today. Um, <laughs> I just love this stuff. I love this stuff. Here's the thing. I have a dream. My family and I, we're planning a trip to New Zealand. We don't know if we're going to be able to do it. We want to go to Hobbiton which is where they made all the, the Hobbit movies, the Lord of the Rings, all that kind of stuff. I love those things. And we were talking last night about the things we wanna do. We wanna do maybe zip line. Have you ever seen pictures of New Zealand? It's gorgeous. The problem with New Zealand is it's in the ring of fire, right? Do you know what the ring of fire is? It's all earthquake prone. If you have mountains, chances are you have earthquakes. There's only one way mountains get created and it's by earthquakes tectonic plates moving, some going up, others going down. Okay. And so guess what? We'll live in a world where we can go to New Zealand anytime we want and there will be no earthquakes, nothing, no hurricanes, no tornadoes, nothing. I look forward to that day. But more than that, do you know what we will be doing in this new earth in new heaven? Ultimately, worshiping, worshiping, that is what we will do for eternity. Now, before you get concerned because, oh my word, I don't know if I can sit or stand that long. Don't worry about those things, okay? Or sitting in these chairs or being, you know, that's not what I mean by this. I mean, collectively, the world joining together in praising the God of the universe who created the heavens and the earth, who will in that day never need the sun because we will have God himself who will be our light. And collectively, as Revelation reveals to us, just a snippet of what that will be like, we will collectively sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Worship. Worship. We will sing, we will dance, we will praise, we will, we will love, we will have all, It will never be a shortage. We will never be bored in eternity, church. I will assure you, we will never be bored in eternity. But worship is the end game. Worship is the end game for us as Christians. It is the reason why we come to Christ is to worship him. It is the reason why God went and told Moses, go and bring my people out of Egypt into the land I promised them so many years ago. So that they could what? Worship. 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 That was before anything else. So that they could worship me. That's how important worship is. So much so, I love what A.W. Tozer says about this. He says the following. I can safely say, on the authority of all that is revealed in the word of God, that any man or woman on this earth who is bored and turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. think about that. Think about that. I don't think we can be ready for eternity if we are not ready for worship because that's what eternity is. That's what eternity is. And this is why I love the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is how we love God. And do you know how we love God in case we haven't figured that out yet going through this series so far as we love him by worshiping him. And today's psalm is a worship psalm. In fact, C.S. Lewis said this about the book of Psalms. The most valuable thing the psalms do for me is to express the same delight in God which made David dance. I love that. I love that. Have you ever, have you ever come away from a worship service, whether it's here or elsewhere, and you just want to dance and you just want to sing you walk out with a pep in your step dare i say right that is just that is awesome in other words a german telling you this brothers and sisters i've told you this before i'll tell you this again worship also involves our emotions if we're not stirred up in our hearts we need to check if we have a pulse We need to check to see if we are even alive. Worship is the end game, which is why worship is so important, which is why I'm so excited this morning to share with you why I worship, why I get to worship, and it is a privilege. And I hope that the reasons that I'll share with you this morning as I see in Psalm 95 will be the same reasons that you also worship and that we together we'll just be completely overjoyed completely excited about the privilege it is to be able to worship amen so let's dive in and let me give you the first reason about why i worship and it's this because god has invited me to worship him god has invited me to worship him Now, let's turn to Psalm 95, and I'm just going to read the first two verses here, and here's what it says. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout out loud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. Why do we sing? Why do we have music? Why do we do these things? Because that's a really important way to worship. There is something about music that just draws us in, isn't it? There is something about music that absolutely just plays on our emotions and draws and wells up within us desires and, and images and all sorts of things that can be absolutely lovely and phenomenal and, and just great to grasp onto. Music has that kind of power. Absolutely, it does. Now, Psalm 95 is an interesting psalm. It is a part of a collection of psalms that kind of represent book four. As psalms are are divided up into five general books kind of representing the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Remember, it's oftentimes the book of Psalms is considered the second Torah or the second teaching. And so the context, and there's some debate about this, is that maybe, maybe Psalm 95 and the larger collection in which it is found in is is, is in response to kind of a theological crisis of faith that the Israelites are having, that maybe it is a response to the fact that, God, I don't know if you're still here. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know if you're angry at us or not. I don't know. I'm having some issues with my faith. These Psalms, including Psalm 95, may be a response to that theological crisis. Church, let me ask you a question. Have you ever had a theological crisis? I probably wouldn't put it as a theological crisis. Let's just put it as it is, a God crisis, a crisis of faith. Have you ever had that? God, I don't know what you're doing. God, I don't know if you're still working. God, I look at the world around me, and I see all of the hurt, the pain, the destruction. I see all of this evil going on. And God, I wonder, where are you? Where are you? What are you doing? Are you even here? Do you even love me? Do you even love this world anymore? Have you given up? Have you gone away? A theological crisis. You look at your finances and uh, it's not making ends meet this month. You look at your job situation and you're like, I I don't know how I can continue to work here. You look at your relationships with those whom you are close to. Maybe it's a child or a spouse or a friend. And you're like, We're in a really, really tough spot now, Jesus. I I don't know what to do here. I'm having some doubts. A theological crisis, a crisis of faith. Trust me, if you think that the Bible doesn't know what we're going through, you haven't read the Bible. If you don't think those are the giants of the faith, don't know what we're going through, you haven't read their stories. Trust me, they know it. They experienced it. Let's go on. So here... Psalm 95, most likely it was probably written by David. How do we know this? Because this is one of the few psalms that's actually quoted in the New Testament. Hebrews 4, 7 talk about the fact that David wrote this psalm as a reminder to the people of, of, of Israel not to lose faith. To remember that God is still here. And it he goes on and says this. What is interesting about Psalm 95 is that it starts out with an invitation. It says, come, it says, come, not only is this a command, but it goes on in verse two and says, let us sing. It is kind of an imitation as well. It is both a come and a command to worship God. I love how the message paraphrase shares these two verses. Look at this. This is what Eugene Peterson wrote. Come, let us shout praises to God. Raise the roof for the rock who saved us. Let's march into his presence, singing praises, lifting the rafters with our hymns. Church, can you imagine what that sounds like? We have an idea. We have an idea what that sounds like. Have you ever been to an NFL football game? Have you ever been to an NFL football game in Seattle? I haven't. I am told... Well, I've never told it. No one's ever told me this. Maybe they have. I don't know. I've researched it that the loudest stadium in the NFL is where the Seahawks play in Seattle. So loud that when the Seahawks play that it registers on the Richter scale. In fact, the Seahawks use it to their advantage. They are so loud that oftentimes the opposing team cannot hear themselves communicate to one another on the next play. That's loud. Nothing compared, though, to what I think Eugene Peterson gets in the spirit of these first two verses. Raise the roof, church. Let us shout. Let us make a noise. Come on. This is God who we get to worship. And there is just this aspect of emotion, as I shared before, that rises within us, and it can be a powerful tool as we worship. And it's okay to get emotional. It's okay if you want you to, to shout. It's okay if you want you to, to raise your hands. It's okay if you want you to, to kneel. It's okay if you want you to, to stand wherever it is that you are want to be, and whatever it is that God is leading you to do emotionally even, do it. Do it. It's beautiful. Pastor John Piper said this. I don't have the quote on the screen, but he said this The engagement of the heart in worship is the coming alive of the feelings and emotions and affections of the heart. Where feelings for God are dead, worship is dead. If you don't feel, man, check your pulse check your pulse it's okay you don't have to sit on your hands if you don't want to you don't have to you can worship with full emotion and not only is that acceptable i think it's welcomed by god church never forget this the reason why we get to worship is because god has invited us in to worship that is the only reason why we get to worship him he has invited us, in. we would never be allowed otherwise to be in his presence. There is nothing that makes us holy or acceptable to him on our own that would allow us into his presence to worship him. And yet God has invited us, and that is a privilege. He extends the invitation to us to come and let us sing. Come, let us bow down. Come, let us sing for joy before the God, our maker. Amen. Here's the second reason, here's the second reason of why I worship because God is Lord of all. God is God. Listen to what verses three onward says this for the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods in his hand are the depths of the earth and in the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Boom. Again, I think it's just this is who God is. God is God. He is this phenomenal creator. He is this unbelievable creator who created all. You look at the mountains, he created them. You look at the oceans, he created them. There is nowhere on this planet and in this universe that he has not created. And not only that, God is not bound by time, space, matter, or even geography. In the days that Israel lived and existed in in which the Psalms were written, it was common to have multiple gods because there was a God for the oceans, there was a God excuse me, God for the, for the, for the uh, land. There was a God for the sky. There was a God for the animals. There was all sorts of different gods out there. And how do we know that God is not bound by any of this? Well, read Jonah, read Jonah. I mean, Jonah thought he knew this. I'll just get away from God. That's hilarious. I'll get on a boat and go to the farthest reaches and maybe God will forget me or God won't know where I'm going or God won't reach me that far. And, and he knew that was not the case. Do you know who didn't know that? Those on the boat. Did you ever think about this church? Jonah is the most successful evangelist in the history of scriptures and he never wanted to be successful. He got a whole nation to repent and he did it on the bare minimum as he finally went and did it and preached in Nineveh. Of God's pending doom. He just gave one line and the people responded (laughs) This is not how I wanted this to work out He led people to God on the ship when he told them throw me overboard Well, who's this God of yours? Oh, this is the God of the land and the sea This is a God who's not bound by geography. This is God He is the Lord of all Let me read again the message paraphrase and how Eugene Peterson phrases these couple of verses here. It's beautiful. He says this beginning with uh, verse 3. And why? Because God is the best. He is the best. He is high king over all the gods. In one hand, he holds deep caves and caverns. And in the other hand, he grasps the high mountains. He made ocean. He owns it. His hands sculpted earth. This is God. This is God. Francis Chan says this, and I love what he says about this. And he says the following. Many spirit-filled authors have exhausted the thesaurus in order to describe God with the glory he deserves. His perfect holiness by definition, assures us that our words can't contain him. And then he says this, isn't it a comfort to worship a God we cannot exaggerate? (laughs) We can't exaggerate this God. We cannot exaggerate. There is not words in our English language that can give enough to describe who God truly is. Who God truly is. There is not enough words in our English language. there is not enough word in, words in any language to exaggerate who we could exaggerate a million times, and it's not enough who God is. Church, I can't help this. Talk about worship, and not for us to sing a song right now together in worship recognizing who this God is, the great I am, the one who is the causer of things, not the responder, the one who is so holy we cannot even properly pronounce his name, the one who holds all creation together. This is who God is, and we get to worship him. So right now, let's just take a little time again. And in song and music, let us worship him. I invite you to stand this morning if you'd like. If you want to sit, you can. If you want to raise your hand, you can. If you want to whatever, with emotions and all of who we are, let's spend this time right now and just worship him again. Amen. You may be seated. I'm not done yet. So don't think that was the closing song. It isn't. There you go, there you go. She's on staff, though. She gets paid. <laughs> Man, think about this, church. This is what we get to do. Is that so horrible? Is that so awful? It, it grieves me that some of the biggest battles in churches are over worship. And for the most part, they're foolish battles, in my opinion. Battles over hymns versus contemporary songs, over um, or an organ or, or contemporary instruments. Whether or not, you know, it should be, you know, lights and fog machines, and, and we're not going with fog machines, okay? But you have to know some way that the Holy Spirit is there, right? <laughs> um, but it, it just grieves me. It just grieves me. That, that our biggest, some of our biggest wars in churches and some of our biggest divides in churches are over worship. And you know what? So far, and I hope that you've discovered this so far, did you see that the reasons why I worship have nothing to do with those things? Nothing. They're irrelevant. We have preferences, and we can admit we have preferences, It's okay to admit that we have preferences. It's okay to admit that, boy, I wish we could do more of this. We had one person, she's no longer here, just a sweetheart of a person. Um, She would actually give, at the time my wife was leading worship, she would actually give Lori extra money if she said, if you throw in a hymn, I'll pay you a couple extra bucks. (laughs) And she would. She would do it. And she would do it. Um, But man, it just grieves my heart. And, And you know, Worship is multifaceted. It's not just what we do here on Sunday, but it's also what we do out there in the world that also helps us and is also worshipful to God when we serve others, when we actually are all about issues of justice and mercy because that is what the scriptures, what, what does God desire more than anything else? Micah, Micah talks about this, to, to practice justice and to practice mercy. Romans 12 talks about giving up our very selves, and that is our spiritual act of worship. This this is an aspect of it. It isn't the only part of it. And yet, this is what we get to do. We need to keep our eyes on the prize, church. We get to worship the Lord our God, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who is above all, who is all things. The one who has created everything, the great I am, we need to remember this. It is a privilege. Here's my final reason why I worship it's this. Because God speaks, and I want to hear what he is saying. God speaks, and I want to hear what he is saying. The rest of the psalm says this, verse 8, and verse, last part of 7 and verse 8. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa, in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, thought they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. And I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger. They shall never enter my rest. God speaks when we worship. God is speaking when we worship him. And if we are aware that he is speaking, maybe, just maybe, we will understand and more than that, we'll hear what he is saying. Here's the thing about this, and this is what these passages seem to allude to. The closer you and I get to God, the greater the desire is to worship him. The closer you and I see and understand what God may be doing, and more than that, what God is saying, the more we want to worship him, which also means the opposite can also be true. That is, the further we get from God, the less desire we have to worship him. The writer of this psalm warns us not to do this, not to harden our hearts, and he gives an example of an example of people who harden their hearts. He gives an example of the Israelites. And the, 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 the reference here is the reference to the Ten Commandments. When, when Moses comes down with the Ten Commandments and he finds that the people have created an idol and they're worshiping this idol. And he is incredibly upset with them. And, and the two places he mentions there, Meribah and Massah, one means uh, uh, quarreling and the other means testing. And all of a sudden now, these people have hardened their heart. Think about this. This is the generation more so than perhaps any other generation that saw the miracles of god that were so completely powerful and yet even they hardened their hearts to him be careful what you ask for if you say to god god if you would just show me a miracle i would believe god if you would just do this I would believe if it didn't work for the people of Israel as he led them out of Egypt into the wilderness and eventually into the promised land with all of the miracles. My word, they had manna from heaven every day. They got sick and tired of it. Ah, we got to eat sweet bread again. We got to eat sweet bread. Who doesn't like sweet bread? We got to eat sweet bread again. I wish we'd had some meat. Right? And God gives them meat, so much meat that they got sick, they got sick to their stomachs on it. It was awful. A generation that saw these kinds of miracles, a pillar of fire at night, and a pillar and a cloud during the day, you know, water coming out of rocks, you know, the, the plagues that were leveled on Egypt. All of these things, and yet even that generation hardened their hearts to God and would not listen to him anymore. Church, that can happen still to us today. And perhaps the biggest obstacle to worship for each and every one of us isn't the inconvenience of a drive to church. Isn't the, you know, the, the, the time that the worship service happens. By the way, some of you are a little late today. I'm not naming names, but daylight savings times, I tell you, it must be tough, <laughs> right? <clears throat> I mean, it's, those aren't the biggest obstacles. Do you know what the biggest obstacle to worship is for us? Our hearts. Our hearts. When we come in to, to worship with a posture of not wanting to engage, of not wanting to worship, chances are we will also have a posture that is not willing to hear God when he is speaking. And perhaps we need to hear him. Perhaps there are some things he wants to say to us. Have you ever been in worship service and you were hearing a message, I'm biased. But more than that, maybe you were singing a song or someone was giving a prayer and you just heard God speak may not have been audibly, but it was in that song. It was in that prayer. Maybe it was in the message. And all of a sudden, you're like, whoa, you just spoke. I needed to hear this today, God. I don't know what it is. Maybe you do. But you needed to hear, and God spoke. Worship is an opportunity for us to actually hear what God is saying. And by the way, God speaks a lot. God speaks a lot I love what Proverbs says about wisdom, by the way, that's God speaking. You know what Proverbs says about wisdom? It stands on the street corner and shouts. It shouts. It's speaking to us. You know what the problem is? The problem isn't the fact that God isn't speaking. The problem is is that we're not listening. God's speaking all the time. God is active all the time. The problem is is that we're not in a, a space, head space, spiritual space, whatever space we need to be in, to actually hear what it is he's saying. Worship allows us that opportunity here. God, what are you saying today? What are you saying to me? I'm here. I want to hear you. I love what N.T. Wright, he says this, put it this way. If your idea of God, if your idea of the salvation offered in Christ is vague or remote, your idea of worship will be fuzzy and ill-formed. The closer you get to the truth, the clearer becomes the beauty, and the more you will find worship welling up within you. That's why theology and worship belong together. The one isn't just a head trip. The other isn't just emotion. So there's a story in scripture. Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman at the well, right? Around noon, lunchtime, his disciples went into town to get some lunch. He encounters this woman. And he begins to have a conversation with her. By the way, it would not have been normal for a woman or anyone at that matter to go at the well at that time of day. We know the story later on is that the reason why she was there is because of the fact that she was not a, um, a well-respected woman in that community. And talk about the bottom of the well. It was one thing to be a Samaritan, but to be a, dis- to be a Samaritan who had her issues... And to now all of a sudden find yourself socially on the scale, I mean, way, way down, not even at the level of a Samaritan, that's pretty far down. And Jesus is engaging with her. And he's asking and telling her about the water that he offers that will never have to go thirsty again. And she says, oh, give me some of this water. And he says to her, well, go get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. The man I'm living with though is number whatever. And then she does something really interesting because Jesus is now probing into her personal life. And she says, oh, oh by the way, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. I, I hear that, uh, you know, the Jews believe that the only true place to worship is in Jerusalem. And we Samaritans believe our true place is to worship over here. Distraction. Beautiful. Beautiful. If you don't want someone to talk about your personal life, distract them. Jesus does not fall for it, but nonetheless, he answers her question about worship. Do you remember what Jesus said? There will come a day when I will be worshipped and when the Father will be worshipped in spirit and in truth. Location doesn't matter. Spirit and truth is what really matters. And what that means is emotion, spirit, emotion, spirit, all of the things that well up, love and all of those aspects that come up with emotion, as well as truth. That is scripture, all of that kind of stuff. Married together, both the head and the heart coming together, That is what matters that is what matters that is in many ways what true worship looks like where the spirit is the gas the accelerator the the thing that gets us going the truth is the map this is where we're going where the spirit roots us in love the truth roots us in knowledge knowing who and how to love God that is a beautiful thing that is true worship church That is true worship, and when we bring those two together, perhaps we put ourselves in a position where we can hear God speak to us, where we can hear God speak. That is worship. So these are the three reasons why I worship. I worship because God has invited me to worship him. I worship because God is the Lord of all, and I worship because God speaks, and I want to hear what he is saying. Why do you worship? Why do you worship? Do you worship because that's what you've always done? It's okay. Do you worship because maybe that's kind of what you came from, your family traditions, all that kind of stuff? Do you worship because you have to? Because you're forced to? Or do you worship because you want to? Do you worship because you actually love to worship? Do you worship because you realize the fact that what a privilege it is for us to be in God's presence even right now? Do you worship because the one whom we worship is Lord of all? The Lord of all. Do you worship because you actually want to hear what God is saying? Because he's speaking. My hope and my prayer this morning is that for whatever reason you found yourself in this place, that maybe one of two things, yeah, I came for the right reasons, they're affirmed, or two, the reasons why you first came here have now changed, and now you know why you're here. You're not here by accident, I don't believe in that. You're not here by chance, I don't believe in that. You're here for a reason, and perhaps it is because you've been invited. Perhaps it is because you know a little bit more the God whom has invited us to worship him, and finally, maybe you're here today because God wants to say something to you. God wants to speak something to you, and hopefully you're listening. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to pray this morning, and while I'm praying, I'm going to do a little something. That we, we do this almost every Sunday, but I'm going to do it again. As we're praying, I'm going to invite our pastors and our prayer team to come forward. If there's one area that we can help, perhaps, perhaps, maybe God is speaking to you today. Let us maybe help discern what that is. Let us pray with you. Let us worship with you to discern maybe what that is. Whatever it may be. Maybe you need a word of encouragement. Maybe you need a word of comfort. Maybe you need a word of conviction. Uh, By the way, I've never had someone come up to me and ask, Pastor, I need you to pray for me that God would convict me, would kick me in the butt to get me going in some direction. That's okay to pray that too. Whatever it is, I want to encourage you, come up to any one of us as we prepare to sing our final song this this morning. And let us help you discern, maybe it is whatever it is God may be saying to you. Because that certainly is one of the reasons why we've come here this morning. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, it is a privilege and an honor and an undeserved one at that to worship you. I am grateful that you have invited every single one of us into your presence this morning, that you have invited every single one of us to come and to sing and to listen and to pray and to engage with each other. Jesus, I am grateful that you extended your mercy and your grace to us. I am grateful, Jesus, that of all the things that you have created in this world and on this earth, the things that could draw us away from you, To worship those things, the mountains, the sky, the oceans, whatever it may be. That now is a time for us to orient ourselves to you, the maker of all. I pray this morning, Jesus, that we would never forget why we worship. That we would never forget who we worship. And that we would never forget that you are always speaking. Father, I pray this morning that as we come to the end of our worship time that the time that we have spent here this morning was honoring to you, was glorifying to you, was pleasing to you. And not only that, Jesus, as I prayed at the beginning of this message, I pray at the end now that it is a declaration of truly of who you are. Jesus, we are your people. You are our God. And we love you We love you more than words can express. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.